0: Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. And hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 66. It is great to be with you once again. I'm really looking forward to sharing uh, my featured conversation today. But first of all, let me go ahead and, and just give a shout out to our sponsors, which is Fonz, Fons is an online scheduling and billing assistant which helps not only private music teachers but also yoga instructors, martial art instructors, academic tutors, fitness coaches, and more. And what it mainly does is it helps you avoid all those countless emails for rescheduling and chasing payments and writing invoices and, uh, you know, doing dealing with spreadsheets and jug- juggling multiple platforms. It takes hours of admin work and just turns it into a few taps of an app. If you go to the show notes today or uh, our website, you can click on the link and that will give you more information It also give you a 14 day trial that has no credit card required and um, see if this makes your life easier and helps you on the business side of things if you are a private instructor of any kind. okay. Let's talk about today's guest. So, first of all, I should let you know why this episode is coming out a little earlier in the week than normal. Uh, Normally, I release these featured episodes on Friday. This is coming out on a Tuesday. Um, Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is because uh, my computer, which I use for podcasting, is going to be tied up from tonight through the weekend uh, because I I use it uh, with Mainstage. And that's going to be on my next show. Well, <laughs> that next show is The Lightning Thief. And my guest today is Rob Rokicki, who is the composer and lyricist of The Lightning Thief. And uh, I wanted to give, uh, it's just selfishly, the cast members, uh, crew members of the production I'm in, a chance to, to hear this before we get into opening night, which is going to be this upcoming Thursday. At uh, Salem College at Elberson Fine Arts Center. So, if you are local to Winston-Salem, you know, come on by and check it out. You'll hear us talk about that production and and, uh, a little bit more as we go on into this conversation. Um, So, for that reason, it's coming out a little bit early, but let me tell you a little bit about the guest, Rob Rokicki. Besides being the composer and lyricist of A Lightning Thief, he actually has had quite a career as an actor. He was in the 25th anniversary tour of Evita, and he also was in the national tour for Miss Saigon. This doesn't even get into his numerous regional credits. Um, besides The Lightning Thief, uh, he also has two other albums out. He has I'm Ready, the songs of Rob Rukiki," and uh, most recently Monster Songs, the world premiere recording. But the bulk of our conversation is about The Lightning Thief. And uh, this is really fun because we not only get into the musical as a whole, but we go through it song by song. Uh, for rights reasons, you'll hear me playing on the piano some of the musical examples that we're talking about. But I would definitely, if you haven't heard the cast recording or you haven't heard it in a, in a while, go check it out um, parallel to listening to this episode. And I think you'll, you'll get a lot out of hearing the music and hearing the composer and lyricist talk about the music, it's, it's a lot of fun. So without further delay, here's my conversation with Rob Rokiki. It's my pleasure today to be talking to the composer, um, orchestrator, uh, actor, and some, I guess we'll, we'll find out what else, what all else you do, <laughs> Rob Rokiki. So Rob, thank you for joining me today.
1: My pleasure, David. Thanks for having me.
0: And uh, I guess just uh, you know, congratulations first. Uh, you know, I understand you're an expectant father.
1: I am. Yeah. Uh, we, we were trying to keep it under wraps, but now uh, it's uh, it's at that point where we're about four weeks away. Right. It's not going to be under wraps much longer.
0: Right. <laughs> so very very excited. Well, that's fun. Oh, well, this is two weeks out. You know, so I can I can cut out this part if you, if you don't want <laughs> no, me to. No, no, no.
1: It's great. Yeah. I'm very happy and I'm, I'm very excited for people to know we're, we're going to have a baby.
0: Great. Rob, this is timely for me to, to be talking to you because I am the music director for The Lightning Thief. And I'm going to talk more about that specific production uh, as we go on because uh, I, I have some questions that some of the cast have relayed <laughs> and okay. I've, I've worked them in and also uh, a question from one of our uh, pit musicians you know so I thought uh, that would be appropriate uh, to, to bring on but before we get to that let's uh, let's go back in time a little bit um, how did you get into either music or theater what's uh, you know what, what is uh, like the three to five minute version of your <laughs> pre-professional life
1: uh, I grew up with a lot of music in my household. My mom is a singer, my grandparents were singers, uh, uh, though not professionally, though my, my my grandmothers were, but not my mother. Um, my father is a pianist, an excellent one, though, again, not his full-time profession, but we grew up with a lot of classical music and a love of, of that in my household, um, which is very ironic that I, I went into writing rock musicals. Um, <laughs> but... Um, I, I f- fell in love with theater at an early age as an actor. And then, uh, when I was in high school, uh, I, I watched a friend of mine write a show that had like some musical elements in it that used all his friends. And I thought, oh, this is, re- you can do that. You can, you can write a play, uh, and people will come and see it and you can put all your friends in it and they can it can It's very much like, uh, the idea of the Muppets, you know, just grabbing a group of folks and, and making things and, uh. That was very appealing to me uh, and I won some playwriting competitions and that gave me a little bit more um, confidence in my work and I continued to write and act uh, throughout college and then when I moved to New York and they were very much like if I wasn't focusing on one I was able to focus on another or another element of storytelling. I just kind of uh, not, not to f- feel uh, pretentious at all, but I see myself as a storyteller. Just because I wear so many hats, it's the easiest moniker to just like wear. Because I've I've worked as an orchestrator, in casting, as a music director, uh, as a lyricist, as a you know just as a composer. Um, so yeah, I wear a lot of hats, <laughs> um, and they all inform each other. And I, and I I love working in different media. And I've worked with many many different collaborators in different capacities. And I think that has made me grow a lot as an artist but yeah that's the the very short and sweet version <laughs> right uh but but yeah from a very very early age my parents uh loved musicals uh and i and uh, have always had an affinity for um for storytelling and and music uh and the kind of cross-pollination of where they meet um it's really quite thrilling all those disciplines coming together right it's, it's really fun
0: so did, did you uh, did you mention going to college uh, what, what did uh, what did you study oh, there
1: right so um, in high school I went to um, interlocking which is a kind of arts camp for for musicians and actors and and uh, I realized oh that this is a place where where young people can do this professionally and I had my first kind of taste of that um, and it was wild some of those, People that were in those shows went on to be major Broadway stars or recording artists. Uh, yeah, it's in yeah. Traverse City, Michigan. All yeah, the I, I, and while,
0: I know someone who's a senior, or, or not actually they they graduated. They're freshmen uh, in college now, but they just graduated there. So yeah,
1: yeah. And I, I had no idea that that um, you could audition for colleges while well. you were up there in the University of Michigan. Came. Uh, the head of the program at the time Brett Wagner came to uh, audition folks. And that's where I auditioned for college and got into Michigan, not knowing that it was one of the top musical theater departments in the country. (laughs) So I was very lucky. uh, And uh, I went there and I was uh, able to still write while I was at school and I was a dual degree. I, I was an English major and musical theater because, you know, all the things that pay the bills, um, an English degree and a musical theater degree. Um, but I, I love immersive storytelling and I, I focused a lot on, on uh, Victorian literature because that kind of world building is really exciting to me. Uh, and I structure songs a lot like essays. I like actually love writing essays. So mm. um, it was a good fit for me having those two degrees. Um I was also a bit of a crazy person because I was just exhausted all the time <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, trying to finish it all in four years. But um, I'm very grateful that I was able to do that. And it gave me a bit of more perspective because some of my favorite classes were outside of uh, necessarily just taking tap and ballet and okay. singing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but then, I, yeah, I continued my training uh, when I went to New York, both in uh, acting and in writing. I did the layman angle BMI uh, writing a workshop for a couple of years when I moved to the city to kind of hone my craft as a writer and then just kind of threw myself into uh, trying to get stuff up, um, learning, well, learning by feeling.
0: <laughs> well, I was also curious on the music side of things. because you, you mentioned before we started recording um, that, you know, one of the things you do is you're an orchestrator. And uh, so, so one of the questions I had, I was going to ask eventually is um, you know, there there's uh, at least on the Concord uh, publication copy we have of The Lightning Thief. There's no arranger or orchestrator credited. So I was wondering, is that you? Did you do the arranger? There,
1: there definitely should be an orchestration credit. It was Wiley DeWeese and myself. Uh, and I will make sure that is amended. <laughs>
0: Unless I missed it. Let me just double check it. And you but, know, it might be, I don't know if it's hidden somewhere. Wait a minute.
1: But we're definitely, uh, but I am the orchestrator co-orchestrator with a wonderful orchestrator named Wiley DeWeese, who's also an incredible music director. And he was our conductor, uh, and, and key one player on Broadway, uh, and for the tour.
0: Oh, great. Yeah. So I'll um, have to, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking, I don't see it. I think it might have, they might have missed that and, and, or or I'm just not seeing it. I will, it let, the them I will yeah. let them okay. know. I will let them know. But so you're a co orchestrator. So, I mean, what I wanted to say was that the uh, the craftsmanship of, of your musical is very good. And Thank it's a kind that kind of, that I I find usually comes with some kind of training, even if it's a one on one private education. So I was wondering what kind of, uh, are you completely self taught or have you, have you, gotten education from any kind of mentors along the way in music uh, I, well
1: in terms of composition I, I feel like a lot of it had to do with my training and, and learning instruments I, mm-hmm. I i learned piano since i was five and then i i learned the guitar and i i've now spent most of quarantine becoming a better drummer i'm still not a good one but i'm getting right. better i play uh, several other instruments not not well but several of them so to kind of help with with that um but i never had formal um contrapuntal writing. I never did had right. to deal with species writing. Um, I, I cared mostly about story uh, and character. And right. so um, musical ideas would come out of that, but um, uh, no, I, I feel like you do it enough. You start getting better at it. Right. <laughs> so my inspiration came from a lot of different places, but I, I think also having a, a deep love of, of kind of a, a wide variety of music right. has helped inform that. And, and um, and because I've been writing musicals since I was like thirteen, I've I've kind of gotten better at them over the last twenty something years.
0: Right. There's a there's a figure in the Lightning Thief, you know, just to use as an example. It, it happens in the in the the day I got expelled. You know, the prologue, and and you'd use it, I think, at least two more times. But it's this little arpeggio arpeggio figure in the piano. That's, oh, the Poseidon uh, theme. Yeah, it's like well, it's like an A minor seven in the upper voice and an A7 in the lower voice. You got a C versus a C sharp kind of yeah. conflict in there. And, and I was wondering, is that you or your co-orchestrator that came up with that specific chord? Uh, well, I wrote all the
1: chords out and and I feel like that clash was very intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Wiley would, would help with I did also a lot of the vocal arranging as well. And um, I just orchestrated and did many, most of the work uh, co-arranging vocally for a show with uh, my friend Joe Iconis called Punk Rock Girl. I, I love kind of creating those kind of synthy vocal pad textures to help with that. But in terms right. of like chord shapes, um, sometimes uh, Wiley would, would come up with some bluesier interesting uh additions to a chord but for the most part they're what I intended that right. we just um figured out how to flesh in terms of voicing right. I also work with some yeah. wonderful um musicians I have a friend named Micah Burgess who is an incredible jazz guitarist hmm. and our guitarist on Lightning Thief um, Kevin Wonderlick, is uh, a beast he is really really f- fluent in in a lot of different voice stylings and, and uh, genres, so when I say this is the sound I'm going for, this is what we're, I'm looking at, we could talk about filters, we talk about which pickup to use. We try to be specific in the in the score too about kind of how we differentiate it with pickup to get the kind of overdrive sounds or whatever we need. But um yeah there's also motifs throughout the piece that you know once you establish those they're really great to then used for bigger payoff moments in act 2 you know the Poseidon theme the descending g kind of uh I think it's kind of an augmented da 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 you have that kind of
0: yes yes thing yeah,
1: and yeah. then Percy's mom song strong Sally song um has this melodic line and and you hear that at the end of like son of Poseidon both of those You have the father's Poseidon theme and his mother's song strong kind of uh working together in conjunction at that last moment as Percy's coming into his own and like accepting who he is so there's lots of wonderful little subtexty kinds of things you can do with that um in terms of like the chromaticism and all that kind of like spooky fun stuff that are that we had that that came a lot with an out of necessity of like how do we create more of a grand scale of like the cosmos and these greek gods and myths and listening to a lot of pieces like gustav holds the planets and being like okay how can we take that and put it on electric guitar and what would that sound like in terms of voicings when you only have five players you know it was, right. it was also like how do we get some scale and scope out of it so i think we we have a lot of main stage sounds too to try to help us but
0: right that uh, that specific chord i was asking about the a minor seven a seven i think that's the type of thing gustav Holst might have used in uh neptune with some of the voices, you know, so that maybe that kind of explains that. Uh, you sort you sort of answered one of the questions that I had already. This is from our pit guitarist, uh, was very interested about the guitar parts. Um, said that uh, he could he could tell that the Lightning Thief was definitely written for the guitar. You know, it wasn't at the piano. You know, then taken to mm-hmm. the guitar. It was written for the guitar, and it was very specific with the pedals and the voicings. And you know, he's played a lot of shows. Sometimes they're very vague, and so <laughs>
1: <laughs> they just give you a PV and say, "Go, go for it. Good luck." Yeah. I feel like that was many of my first shows, starting out. But I got better as I got better at guitar, and also um, just learning uh, from really wonderful players, um, right. and always trying to figure out how to be better at it, and in, in terms of notation. Um, but um, yeah, that makes me feel really good that, that they said that because we worked really hard on that book. Um, right. the, the other thing I will say is that nothing drives me crazier than um, a, a show that purports to be a rock musical or a guitar-forward musical that um, sounds tepid or watered down or doesn't actually know how to create those sounds. Right. So the authenticity of that um, was really important to me. And, and I think also in terms of the angst of the show, we were uh, I wrote a lot of Percy's stuff in, pati- in particular on electric guitar right um to get that that kind of a lot of large intervallic moments too of the kinds of like his his you know uh, outbursts and you know a lot of fun, fast passages because the character has a d h d and dyslexia and things like that. so how can the the music mirror that? but it is a very guitar centric show, and that's why a lot of the songs are really led by the lead guitar. It is the kind of the voice of Percy in the show
0: right. Um, so I feel I feel like I got to get this out of the way, you know, having talked about the guitar and and also I, I felt really bad when I looked I glanced at your website and saw that right up there, you, you listed the things you do and like the third thing is melodica enthusiast. <laughs> um so I would, so before I give you the bad news, let me let me let me set it up. Uh, when I was asked to music direct this uh for this upcoming production, it was a case of there, there wasn't that much money um, allocated for the pit. So it was going to be just piano and percussion. And I, I, went, I had a situation like this before, and I said, without even seeing the score or listening to the recording, I said, get a bassist too, because you, you've got to have that. And then uh, as soon as I, got, I I was able to s- see a copy of the score and just watch how uh the opening number begins. I was like there's no way we're doing this without at least one guitarist. <laughs> but yeah. that's where the money ran out. So it's like we weren't able to get mm. both guitars So it's uh, the production it's uh, for a local school and and so it's missing that Fair one enough. part but uh but I hate that we left out the melodica knowing that you're a melodica enthusiast, you know.
1: <laughs> uh well, it's honestly it's one of my favorite instruments in the whole world. It it is um, some folks think of it as a childish little classroom instrument, but I think you get a sound of harmonica and you get a sound of kind of a high reed organ from it, and um, it's there. It creates a little bit of extra depth and vocal harmonies, and there's a real warmth to it, and there's a whimsy right. to it for the kind of comedy that we're doing in a song like "Another Terrible Day." It's really funny uh, mm-hmm. and helps sell the comedy of it. Right. And it was a it's a tricky book because it's a guitar two melodica to and you know again it came down to money also with our show and when it originally ran off probably and and from the tour we couldn't afford another key to book to have all the other bells and whistles we want in there like if you could do one other double what would you want and right. had a lot of talk about like would that be a string you know it's really hard to add just one read when you do that it just feels weak and it wouldn't be right for this show i mean like right. in a perfect world i would love horns for like doa but um I thought like, Oh, a second guitar. So we can have a little bit of, you know, one of my favorite bands is the pixies. So like having an acoustic (laughs) with the electric vibe is really wonderful. And I love that vibe. So we, we use that a lot. And then, um, again, to fill out the texture, especially when you only have seven actors playing eight million things, and they're all doing backup harmonies for each other, uh, having some padding with the melodica. It just cuts so beautifully. It was really fun in songs like Drive. It also gives that, that kind of harmonica kind of vibe to it. Um, I think it's a really versatile and wonderful instrument, and yeah. I love it very much.
0: Yeah, it, it, is, it, does, it does work well. I, I wish we could get that one extra part in um since we are life in the pit let's give a shout out to your pit um name name off your players in the original cast recording and and any uh you know other pl- players that have that have contributed majorly
1: over the years there's there were so many i mean we've been working out, we worked on the show for seven years but um players on broadway uh you pick she's an incredible bass player um just like she's a beast um wonderful player um dennis michael keith he is a bass player that helped me come up with a lot of the 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 riffs and licks and also uh eric day he was another bass player of ours um who's like i knew from college who does a lot of pick rock playing a lot it was in a like a a, a band in college that i I would go see and um that helped kind of with the sound of the thing. He's in a Weezer cover band with our, with our drummer for a while, Jeremy <laughs> Yaddo, who is right now uh, in uh, American Utopia, is an amazing drummer. Uh, he plays on the Deluxe album. Uh, also, Jeff Fernandez was a drummer of ours, mm-hmm. um, who is like Animal, just comes up with a lot of... We, I would come up with drum ideas, and then Jeff would take them and just elaborate uh, and, and create really interesting fills. Um, you would always know a day when someone else was subbing for Jeff because you were just like, "Oh, I want the crazy Phil." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, uh, who else here? Uh, uh, Your guitarist, you know, yeah, you've two Oh guitarists, yeah, Kevin Wonderlic was uh, our our guitarist, um, our lead guitarist, and Kevin was with the show from the beginning. Um, Kevin is an an amazing guitarist and and played in two separate bands that. Our really incredible one is called Sky Pony. That's Kyle Jarrow's band that um, Kyle wrote the book The SpongeBob and is in this punk punk pop, punk, pop band called Sky Pony and um, also is in a heavy metal band called Couch Slut and they are intense. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and I saw one of their shows in St. Vitus and it was uh, so ear-splittingly insane. I was like, oh, this, this guy plays rock when I asked. Who can play rock? Uh, Wiley DeWeese was our keyboard player. Andy Colopy was also a keyboard player that was wonderful um micah burgess was uh one of our subs who was great on guitar he covered both guitar books Mm. one of my favorite guitar players in the world mike rosengarten was our guitar two and melodica player and um we had him he he got better and better and better we kept throwing more melodica tricks at him as we went he just picked it all up he also did a lot of like uh helped us with some guitar programming for the, the latest show i work at it's really great to have someone uh that understands all of that stuff. Kevin and Mike were able to kind of help program each of their books and to create different enough sounds so that the electric guitars had their own um, vibe to them. I'll also give a shout out to Ashley Bayer, who uh, is my drum teacher, and she subbed a couple times in the show mm-hmm. um, and made her Broadway debut. It was really awesome, too, to, awesome to like get to work with a lot of these players that I've been working with for 15, 20 years and, and getting right. to have them, uh, many of them make their Broadway debut. Uh, playing in that pit. It was really fun. They were also on stage, so you get to see the band, which I right. really love.
0: Yeah, great. Uh, and did you serve as music director? Or did you have a outside music director?
1: Oh, Wiley DeWeese was our music ah, director and okay. co-orchestrator. Um, yeah, wonderful, wonderful guy. Uh, nice. His brain is like one of the smartest things. Does a lot of stuff with um, Michael Friedman, uh, the late, great Michael Friedman. Um, mm-hmm. his, yeah, um, Wiley is a really special orchestrator. He just did um, some new orchestrations for the a uh, Whisper House musical off-Broadway, and they were phenomenal. What he can get out of just a single French horn, it's like, mind-blowing. He's so good. Love
0: it. Nice. <laughs> um, so you you did make me break down as a keyboardist. I, I've i have been one of those, I've been holding on to, you know, I have a core chrome, it's pr- you can probably see it in the case behind me, <laughs> just kind of leaning up at the moment. Um, I've relied on the onboard sounds for so long, but it's like... Uh, the keyboard programming for this was very specific, and you even had the Logic Pro X sounds, you know, for a <laughs> yeah. lot of the things. So it's like, okay, we'll, we'll do main stage. So uh, I've got a, I've got, a, you know, a, a, someone programmed it for me, and uh, okay. you know, it's good to go. It's got, but the keyboard should be full of everything you asked for, so...
1: Oh, good. It's a show that I think the sounds are available enough all on Logic that you can yeah. um, program fairly easily on your own, because right. I get overwhelmed. I feel like as music directors uh, you, we now have to be like computer scientists as well and we have to right. understand... like
0: One I couldn't to. find that really is crucial to the sound of some of the underscores but but the programmer i used he had he had something that sounds pretty good as a theremin you know you use yeah. a theremin, so that was really really neat i
1: had to do a separate download box for that i'm i'm really jealous because uh, uh my buddy joe iconis for be more chill charlie rosen actually got a theremin for that score but mm. it's a much more like sci-fi show and and so you need a theremin but like you know it's a temperamental instrument we were like oh man We could buy a theremin, but we're like schlepping that thing on tour. It could break. It's it's too temperamental. We can use it. So many things with, uh, with main stage, especially glock and spiel sounds, which are really important to me for this, the show. I think like the glock reminds me a lot of uh, Bruce Springsteen and it represents optimism and hope for Percy. So I think it's really important that we had a good glock uh, sample sound and some organs. And we also use the arpeggiator at the end, which it, Shows my love of 1980s movies because that's very much the Bring on the Monsters arpeggiator. Which is supposed to be slightly under what the tempo is. So you get a little uh, cross, you know, uh, polyrhythm thingy going, which is right. kind of fun.
0: Um, so before we get into, uh, you know, I, w- I want to go through just kind of song by song, we'll talk about. Some of the things uh, I want to go ahead and just mention a little bit about the production that I'm doing that'll be opening, um, if not the very day this comes out, a at, at very weekend. And mm-hmm. um, I did solicit some questions, you know, from from the group. It's a small group, um, mm-hmm. so I I am music directing this for the Salem College Purettes in Winston Salem, North Carolina, and the, the Purettes is uh, so. First of all, Salem College is historically an all-female college but you know it's it's one of those that, that is that is in the process of of changing but another thing that's also changing is uh, the Purettes themselves which is they have been a continuous organization since I think at least 1909 or somewhere around then it's um, it's been they've been around for a very long time they're one of the oldest continuous um, drama clubs mm-hmm. they are not part of the They're not directly a part of Salem College, so it's not a Salem College theater program. It's a drama club, and you've got, um, you know, students from all sorts of majors. You know, I'm I'm pretty sure there's maybe one music major in the cast, and I'm not even sure about that. But they come from, you know, all these parts of the college, and they come together just to, you know, to put on a couple of productions a year. And uh, they have their own budget. But they work kind of interdependently with the college, you know, so that's kind of how that works. But uh, in this case, this year, it's entirely student run. The direct, you know the oh, the director that. is this is one of the students as well. and uh, and I said that they, like the college, have been historically all female. But I know that they're working to become more inclusive uh, because there's uh, there are multiple people in the cast and the crew, you know that are. Uh, you know, have a female on their birth certificate, but they're transgender male, you know, so, um, th- so that's kind of uh, who, we're, who we're working for. And we've been rehearsing, uh, you know, w- with a few breaks, like spring break since uh, late January, and they're, they're doing a great job. Uh, but I asked, uh, I have about, I think, four questions from them, and I'll see if I can kind of bring these out. One of them was, uh, uh, Annabeth has a line, about feeling stoked, and mm-hmm. the uh, and and the original uh, person uh, who played that role was Kristen Stokes, and we were mm-hmm. just wondering, was that an intentional homage or is that? You bet something? it was. Yep,
1: <laughs> you bet it was. Well. Also, I'm like I, I think that's so wonderful, and I love that it's so inclusive, and especially right now in the current climate, I think that's right. wonderful. And one of the things we're really proud of, and that we're at least trying to to have with, with the way we put the show out, was uh, the Lightning Thief just has seven actors, right? That's it. Yeah, um, one of those few shows that we it's it's up to casting, a, you know, and the director to, to decide. So I, I, I applaud them, and I think that's really wonderful. Okay. Um, yes, Kristen Stokes was with the show since like our very first or. Um, like read through so way back in like 2013 or 14 and uh i love her very much and she's been annabeth for so long and i thought oh she's from cali she always is saying things like Stokes and her last name is Stokes. her mother runs a theater company she's,
0: a, she's like theater in her bones so yeah that is for her so was that so that line was given to her when she was in the show uh-huh 100 percent. nice uh, there's a couple of questions I think that are related. So one of them was, how did you find or become inspired by the lightning thief source material? What did, did, did you read the books, all of them or just some of them? Or?
1: I read all the books and, but we based it all on the first book. Um, I w- again, this was a show that was commissioned for, uh, uh or that, that, uh, a wonderful company called TheaterWorks USA got the rights to, and then they l- actively reached out to Um, Different writers, and um, I submitted a demo from a suggestion uh, by a friend, and and I was a good fit with my demos, and that's how I got involved. Um, But I hadn't read the books up until that point, so I I read the book, I watched half the movie, and didn't watch the rest of it because the movie is not great. Um, (laughs) But we based it on the books, and and then and that's especially the first book. But it was very helpful to read. all of the Percy jackson books because you get some point of view uh from later characters so then you can incorporate that into kind of how you build your other characters when you get to finally hear from annabeth and grover in later books right it was all and yeah
0: and uh and and the second question that's pretty much the same thing but it was asking it includes the question there's the uh the other series heroes of olympus and was wondering Mm -hmm. if you had any familiarity with those if that made its way into the show at all
1: um, well, we only had the rights to the first book. And I mean, I would love to do more. Um, right. Joe Trace and I, uh, Joe Trace is our book writer, an incredible champion of the piece. And he's the one that actually adapted it first as a play before we even made it into a musical. Mm. Um, Joe and I pitched an idea for doing uh, Heroes of Olympus um, kind of cast album, concept album. Because um, there's so many wonderful characters we don't get to include, like Nico, who's one of my favorites. I'm born on Halloween, so I, of course, love the really emo, angsty uh, <laughs> um but yeah, there there just wasn't wasn't time, and it also writes stuff gets in the way. But um, we were very grateful for what it's, it's also like. It took us seven years to write, right? <laughs> uh, it might take that long to get into the other properties, but no, they they were all wonderful, and I love Rick's world. I think it's a really irreverent and fun um, and heartfelt world, um, and I, I I I do love those books very much.
0: Right. Um, the last question that was asked by them is uh, what is your favorite lyric or favorite musical song or moment from the show? I, I've
1: got a couple. It's hard because they're my babies. Right. But um, uh, I think um, the toughest song to crack was Sun was, um, Poseidon. I'm really proud of how that came together. I also really loved the maybe my dad was this group too moment. It always chokes me up. Uh, the... Uh, I'm really proud of the key change, DOA. That was was hard. That was Mm -hmm. really hard. Uh, That song was just unwieldy. Some songs just are easy to come by. I'm a big fan of uh, the time signature and key signature jumps in uh, Good Kid. That came very organically. I think that's one of my favorite. Also, the guitar panning was really, really fun. We tried to make that song feel as visceral about kind of a temper tantrum come to life that feels like something more by the end of it. I think it kind of reveals a lot of Percy's character. Um, but my favorite song is, is grand plan. That's the song that's the closest to my heart. I love that song very much. Um, Nice. Lyrically. I think uh, it's something I, I really like. Nice.
0: Uh, yeah. So for any listeners who, uh, you know, are listening to this about the process, uh, if you haven't seen the show, we're, we're trying to avoid any spoilers to the plots, you know, uh, you know, RSA, if you haven't read the book or <laughs> watched the movie or anything, you know, but we'll, we'll avoid, you know, spoilers on that. Um, I just, I just wrote down a few thoughts about the songs just along the way. Um, you know, prologue slash the day I got expelled. Um, you know, the, the right, right off the bat, you know, this is a guitar driven show. I mean, I even told the guitarist, I, I said, I, I think it would probably be better if I wasn't playing on the keyboard than for you not to be playing on the guitar. It's that uh-huh. important of a show. Uh, so you have that guitar driven right off the bat. Um, we talked about that that uh, really cool arpeggio, the A minor 7 that's in the upper voice, A7 in the lower voice. Um, you also have what you call Wagnerian battle. I call it the Wagnerian battle theme that's, that's oh the really... monster theme, yeah, yeah, we
1: use that for all the monsters in different forms or fashions that was kind of that
0: and then we get on to to strong you know i just uh, i didn't have any like thing anything that stood out that I wanted to ask about is just more guitar driven. Um, well that was the
1: first song I wrote for the show. It's the only song that stayed in all the versions of the show.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah. Uh I, I'm arranging another musical and, and it and it's funny we were we were talking one time, I was talking with the writers and there's like maybe three songs, you know, that are still in you know from the yeah. original conception. You you get a Always. lot. Always Yeah. Um are there some are there bonus songs that you cut that you really didn't want to? Um,
1: I I feel like uh, the songs that we ended up with are the songs that were did that were meant for that production. Um, right. You know, in writing the thing, we tried a lot of different things and other parts of the book that we uh, ad- adapted that were just a little too unwieldy. Yeah. Um, in terms, of the amount of what we're trying to get across. Um. That being said, like, I wanted a way to, we, we, I think I wrote about 27 different songs that were cut between the different versions over the the many years from a one hour version that expanded into the the two act full version. Um, and of those, I wanted a way of celebrating the Broadway cast because, um, it was one of those things where we were taking the tour and just moving it to Broadway. We really didn't have the opportunity to, have, or the resources to do a full Broadway cast recording. So I, I wasn't going to get a chance to hear any of the other arrangement ideas that we'd also done from off-Broadway to Broadway. There's a lot of differences between those two that a lot, I don't think a lot of people know. But I was like, if if I can at least redo the cast recording, at least I can do some of these cut songs that have been fan favorites or some of my favorites and, yeah. and use the Broadway cast right. to get them involved. So that's how the Deluxe album came about. And I produced that. So it was really fun to, with Broadway records to, to make that happen. Um, and so the song Try, I think, like, sums up those characters really well. Um, right. Percy, Annabeth, and Grover. And and so that was kind of like, it doesn't really fit with the rest of the show. It's a little too earnest. It's a little, little too uh, radio pop. But I think... Um, I'm very proud of that song and I think it's it it speaks to that it's like the one thing that I'm like oh, I wish there could be a way to fit that in the show but I'm also like it doesn't it doesn't right. have a place it just doesn't have a place
0: right uh, I, I've also this was something else I heard from other writers it's like as you know I was just kind of looking at the history you know I mean this this made it to Broadway in twenty 20, I believe, right? Was, 2019.
1: 2019. We were the last show to open and close right before the end times, yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> uh, but you had, you know, five <laughs> five years of, like, professional development before then. I'm sure you were working on it uh, before then. But, you know, what the writers have said is they the versions that they had at the time, they thought were so good, only to, you know, one or two years later being like, no, there's no way that should have been in the show. <laughs> you know, and... Well, you know,
1: I think we ended up with a really decent uh, 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 you know, we had to adapt the version for whatever stage we were at with the piece. Right. So the one hour was the best that that version could be. and and um, for you know, it was also like there's so much world building and exposition. So like how do you make that fun? and entertaining so like we we decided instead of having uh i think their sign was a much more grand kind of song uh you know in six four it's supposed to sound a little like a centaur you know and all this stuff we we're like it's we need to get right into camp and in and, and exposition is i think best delivered in moments of, of humor or um yeah or, or uh, panic, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or like high stakes drama. So it was really fun to do kind of both of that with, with Another Terrible Day. And Percy's getting thrown all this information right at him in a very fun kind of show tune way, which is very different from the, all the other songs in the show, right. um, from a grumpy camp counselor. So like, uh, that kind of form dictates function for each version of the show and the actors that we had. I mean, getting to work with George Salazar, he was such a great comedic actor. We were like, oh, we got to give him a song. And oh, what if we did something like this? right and that worked really well
0: uh i i know you mentioned their sign you know the one thing i marked on about that is i really love the you kind of have a two over three polyrhythm in yeah. the keyboard it's really nice that yeah. was
1: wiley wanted to bring that out more in the orchestration and i thought that was a really fun idea he had yeah. some really smart ideas with that one uh
0: who's the in another terrible day who's Who's the vocal vocalist? Who's the actor in the cast recording? So
1: that's who I was talking yeah. about. It was a, a guy named George Salazar. Yeah. Um, and George is a brilliant comedic actor, and a, or a dramatic actor, too. He's just a wonderful, wonderful force of nature. Um, it was like herding cats, that cast. Right. They were just silly goofballs that um, made... Bold, beautiful, wonderful, wild choices, and our director Stephen Brackett, like uh, he really creates an environment of play, a sense of play. And George would do that scene where he would kick this chair because he'd be so mad at the camp counselors. And one time, the chair just flipped up and then like landed right behind him, and it became a bit. And we just kept it, but um, <laughs> it was so fun. He's just nice. he's so funny. But he plays Grover too. He, he does right. both parts.
0: Uh, yeah, there, there's a voice that he uses in, in another terrible day. And this is me maybe reflecting my own youth or projecting, uh, but it made me think of Dave Mustaine of Megadeth.
1: (laughs) Oh well, we we were actually going for um, Lewis Black, kind of just angry over it. guy. yeah, that is funny. I love good old Megadeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, Totally. You know, you've got a variety of music for for the. different songs in the show uh i was just curious another terrible day were there any specific things that influenced that song any music
1: well i'm uh, you know he's an older character So something that felt like you know minor and chunky and a little right. like kind of jazzy I, I gravitate toward f as kind of a, a song to play kind of bluesy licks in yeah so d d minor felt right for for him you know you'll you'll see there's a lot of other kind of brighter happier keys for all the younger more youthful characters you know like a and g and e right um but for the i you know i find for older characters in particular i i start gravitating towards more flat keys or or jazzier keys and that's i think that's how i ended up in, in f and d minor
0: right and uh put you in your place uh, I, I, the tempo is aggressive hair metal, <laughs> uh-huh. and well, uh, kind of seventies, eighties. A lot of open fourths. Were uh, any yeah. specific bands you were thinking of, or just that style, that well, era?
1: I I asked uh, a wonderful guitarist named Ralph Agresta, who is like I think his sister and his uh, father were are, are big. I think his sister is Bon Jovi's voice coach, and his wow. father like built guitars back in the day. But Ralph um, is an old kind of rocker and we did a production of harrisbury he was in the pit of mine and I, I literally asked him i think he wrote one of the like so you want to play acdc books mm. uh you know like for guitar in the like guitar center or something and i said all right show me some basic riffs on this that feel right um and and i think as a musical theater writer you t- I, you know we're always taught to like, try to make it as complicated and as interesting and you know and, and, and at the end of the day i find you you're, you're you're paying more attention to the craft of the writer than you are to the character, and I thought this is this is an angry rocker, and she's a bit more Pat Benatar and than uh, you know musical theater. So, what would be that? So, uh, looking at a lot of ACDC and um, Sarah Beth Pfeiffer, and I actually um, did a concert where we covered some ACDC songs. So um, mm-hmm. that that was a big inspiration for for just in terms of voicing and, and having fun, and you know, using the minor third. And, uh, yeah,
0: nice. So that's where that came from. Uh, campfire song. I just wrote uh, sea chanty question mark uh-huh. it's kind of yeah. uh, sea chanty feel to it. So. Yeah, we it's just a silly oh, yeah. song. Joe, yeah. Joe
1: Trace, the writer, came over, and we thought, "What it would be really fun if they all just gripe about their parents." And now it's like probably the, the song that is played the most from the show. But we we wrote it in a night, just like having fun making up these silly limericks, kind of the l- lyrics that would go with it. Um, but yeah, it's got that kind of rollicking drinking song vibe to it,
0: <laughs> right? Um, then uh, the the oracle. I just put. a... I, I love the. Where the chorus sings fail. It's a nice big F9 chord in there. Uh, and yeah. I think, Oracle, I wrote this down for a visit to Auntie M. I think that's where you have that real low bass line. It doubles, it's the bass and the keyboard doubling. That's that four note ostinato that's kind of creepy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good.
1: You know, you got to create some ominous somehow. And right. like those are just like shorthand to just do it quickly, down and dirty. Yeah.
0: Right. Uh, you already mentioned what I wrote down about Good Kid. So Good Kid, uh, I really love the, you know, you have a 4-4 four, four going to 3-4. And in 3-4, you have that syncopated rhythm. that Kind of unexpected the first time you hear it, but it it, it really drives it forward at that point. So. Yeah,
1: and it sounds like he's having that temper tantrum when he's stomping. We yeah. also like have the muddy, we're playing fifths in the bass, so you get that kind of, you know, 90s, grungy, chunky in the bass sound of those which i which i like
0: right killer quest i just uh i was wondering if there was any specific influences for that song musically
1: no that was one of the first songs i made for the original demo that just changed a lot over the years but i think it was like um i wrote it in a in an attempt to doing some kind of fun and upbeat of like all right there's danger how do i what's that what's that gonna feel like so it was another like kind of guitar driven I, I like writing an E uh, with you know with open strings, so I did that on Drive too. You know, uh, yeah. they're kind of companion songs. It's the continuation of Killer Quest, so a lot of like open voicings when you're, you know, uh, suspension chords and stuff like that,
0: which is yeah. really yeah. fun. And dramatically, it's funny because it's a nice serious song, but it keep you have these comic interruptions. You know, when they meet certain yeah. people, and <laughs> right, I think like
1: the the earnest version of that is Try, and it feels a little too earnest. I think yeah. like having having Killer Quest where it's like you know, it's the it's the snark that gets them through, even though the stakes are real, which I think fits tonally really better for the book with the books,
0: right? let's see we uh lost was an uh, let's see what are we talking about loss i just said it just seems like it that might have grown out of a, another terrible day in a way a, a little bit uh,
1: no not really no lost was its own its own thing i mean like it came organically very similar to another right. terrible day where, where i took a scene that joe had written and then kind of um, cannibalized it for lack of better right. words to just kind of take it and use the rhythm that he had in the words itself and they're like oh there are three kids having a panic attack um what how how would how would steven sondheim write a uh, episode of scooby-doo what would that sound like right. you know with just like we put it on maybe a harpsichord we have like a lot of patter yeah. put it in dark and spooky minor stuff but like a right. lot of overlapping voices and a lot of counterpointing kind of moments and right. that's where that that kind of came out of yeah uh
0: and as you said you really love the song annabeth's song is my grand plan <laughs> mm-hmm. and um So was that one of your early songs or did that come later? No,
1: that came later and and it didn't quite have a place because unlike most of the songs in the show, I wrote them based on the scene and what needed to happen. But uh, both Good Kid and Grand Plan were songs that, um, you know, my writing partner was was off working on another project. And I was like, I really want to have these moments for these characters. I really think I have an idea of like a kind of I am song or I want song that would fit later in their journeys um, and Good Kid, we found a perfect place for it to go. And I knew where that one would be. And I just kind of wrote it independently of anyone else. I didn't have a, I just said, this is where the song is going. And I wrote the song. Um, a very similar thing happened with Grand but We didn't have a better, a good place for it because we were still trying to figure out Act Two. Um, mm-hmm. So the song got cut. Uh, and I rewrote a different song in its place. And it just wasn't working. And I thought, this is a really, this song needs to be here. We tried a bunch of different ways to have it fit. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we settled on one that makes the most sense but um yeah it was it was tricky um the, the why it sounds like it sounds at the beginning with the roads it was very much like if percy's going to be the electric guitar with these big intervallic things i wanted uh, annabeth to feel more um uh, note-y and intellectual and this kind of roads computer-like sound uh, yeah. that's why i went with that um and it doesn't really start getting more angsty until the the bridge where it kind of Fits its groove, so a lot of like Regina Spektor, Ben folds, that that kind of stuff right. was influenced on that song.
0: Nice, uh, you got two great tempo marks and drive. So the first one is Eastbound and Down, y'all, <laughs> 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 and then uh, as it, as it go as it goes forward develops. Go full Mumford. So Mumford and Sons, <laughs> I'm assuming. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I, I'm not a huge, huge uh, uh, lover of all that indie folk stuff at the beginning of, of the early aughts. But I did love a lot of that, uh, you know, that kind of fun reference. And, and they, they do they do what they do very, very well. Right. Um, I And I love uh, Smokey and the Bandits. So that was, you know, the beginning of that. It's clearly an homage to, like, we got a long way to go and someplace to get there. It was a big... You know that and uh, moving right along, the Muppet song from the uh, from the Muppet movie, uh, mm. as well as some some of the, the Mumford and Son stuff. With the if, if I if we have like banjo doubled in the uh, the score, but uh, in the keyboard track. But man, I would love a real banjo. I think oh yeah, be really fun.
0: Yeah, um, you know, on Tree in the Hill, you you got a section there for uh, you know it's a sm- Smashing Pumpkins sections. Uh, I think you you, you uh, it's listed on there. That's what it is, and it's it's the song Disarm. Uh huh. 100. Um, you got the you've got the tubular bells and everything in the keyboard part, and I was um, because I it was when I was in college when that song came out, um, yeah. and the uh, the cast members who are currently in college, you know, like like they were born way after the fact. I thought mm-hmm. I was going to be explaining them a song they didn't know, but they all at least acted like they've heard the song and they knew it. So I, I oh, don't. Wow. So I was kind of impressed with that. But yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's a little bit of like, we, we tried the song originally, it was all on an on a acoustic guitar, and then it wasn't reading very well, and then we tried it on electric, and it uh, was kind of a more kind of country twang to it. Almost felt like kind of a Ryan Adams-y, murder ballad-y kind of too. We just liked that better. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's the, the bridges. That. I have a, a strong affinity for late 90s, early 2000s. There's a lot of like, uh, you know, My Chemical Romance and Paramore, and, but also like, again, Bruce Springsteen and some classic rock that elements that are thrown in.
0: Right. On a side note, if if you never have uh, seen it before, any of the listeners out there, um, uh Smashing Pumpkins, the song "Disarm," it's one of the great music videos. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic!
1: Time. It's a fantastic video. It's like
0: everyone's kind of just like floating in the air, and and it's like weird angles, and you get to see the cellist and the you know the, everybody the playing their instrument. Yeah. No, no flying tubular bells though you know <laughs> no that would no, have been no. pretty cool um, dangerous another great tempo mark for elevator which is terrible elevator jazz music
1: <laughs> we when, wanted something that was like the, the lobby of the underworld it's your waiting area in a music studio what would they be playing that would just be right. awful so we came up with something kind of girlfriend ipanema-esque
0: right uh, now you get to the one that challenges the cast, uh, but but I think this uh, this might be my favorite. It has my favorite section of the show, and that's D O A. Um, mm. My my favorite section is uh, when you get to the. It's called is you label it as club groove, and the and the ensembles doing the D O A. You know. It's like uh, I thought, musically that's my favorite. That's my favorite spot. Uh, but this is where you've got cameos from Janis Joplin, Kurt Cobain, James Brown, Mozart, and even the Vienna Vienna Boys Choirs, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> all in different styles. You know, so uh, that was that was
1: uh, proposed to me by uh, Barbara Pasternak, the artistic director of uh, Theater Works. She said, "I really want a big." hell sequence and, or underworld sequence and i was like they've done it it's called the spooky mormon hell dream i can't do anything better than that from the book of mormon right. uh and she said no i really think there should be more stakes and we it was a we originally had it as part of one larger montage sequence and we were like no it needs to have its own feel and we had this incredible actor named uh, carrie compare and she was just so funny and dynamic and well hell is supposed to be this record or underworld is supposed to be this record company um how fun would it be to play with all these different genres, but I needed something to glue it all together. And that's where that kind of like kind of soul inspired funky groove came from, which was actually from a cut song, that, that, yeah that, that groove, um, which is really fun when you can slap right. it on the bass. It sounds really yeah. fun, but that, that kind of unified all of that together.
0: I, I am looking forward to getting the guitars cause I, I got to say the, uh, <laughs> Playing the rehearsal as the rehearsal compass for the show—that that's a it's di- a very difficult thing at the beginning of DOA. That guitar style. <laughs> oh right, yeah, yeah, the little riff, yeah, yeah. the little James so, Brown. If riff. Just, yeah. Even if I play the right notes, it just doesn't sound right.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of Stevie Ray Ron, little licky stuff up by the high. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. work on piano. <laughs> no.
0: um, and then I got, on my notes, I just ran out of paper. Uh, after some underscores, you have what I call the home stretch. You got up of in the last day. Of summer and bring on the man bring on the monsters I can I, I can tell you by the reactions that uh, the cast loves bring on the monsters you know it's like the uh, you know that they really get into that and um I mean they're loving the whole show but especially that song and uh, I mean any any thoughts just on those last three songs that we haven't shared already
1: like like I said son of a sudden was kind of a tough nut to crack as we're trying to figure out a large sequence so I'm kind of happy how that all came around the, the through lines and other motifs that kind of pay off with put you in your place and strong and the and the Poseidon the theme all kind of working their way together of this kind of parents and children thing, um, that, that worked out for them. Um, the last day of summer was just like, uh, it was a longer sequence that we, we made a little more streamlined, but it has one of my favorite moments in the show, which is Luke's good kid reprise. Yeah. Um, which, um, if we've done our jobs right, then the audience really is leans in and is really invested in Luke's character. Cause he's such a good foil for Percy of this thing. Like, yeah. Kid that's been kind of wronged by the world and his parents and his parents. And he just kind of, um, lashes out and you can see that Percy could have easily gone down that path. And I think, um, using the good kid motif in a, in a much more darker, uh, destructive yeah. way, it has some really good payoff there. Um, uh, so that was really fun, but it's 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 just back and forth on two chords. The the beginning of that song, That whole thing is just a, yeah. I, a, gr- a Green Day song for the most part.
0: <laughs> I like musically how you get to that reveal, and I got to say that you, uh, in in my opinion, the character more sympathetic than in the book. You know, because I I I'd never read the book until the book? until I started doing the show, and um, you know, so I because I, I wanted to get that in my head before going started, but, and I, and I just thought. I really like it well, in the show. So.
1: <laughs> well, if you if you get to the last book, which I, I hope you do, because they're a really wonderful series, um, it uh, Luke does have some moments of redemption, ah. and we wanted we wanted to like pepper a little of that in, even though we're only dealing with the first book. you really wanted to have some moment where you, you really feel for this guy and why he's doing what he's doing. I think that would, that's what makes the best villains are the ones that you understand why they do what they do, their motives, right. Um, yeah and then uh bring on the monsters that came out that was 11 o'clock kind of last second i had to figure out how to end the show we had a different ending of like the last day of summer that we used to wrap up the show with and it just felt a little too pat felt mm-hmm. a little too calm and we we're in the middle of an election uh the yeah of certain people back in the day in <laughs> 2017 that um I was just kind of thinking a lot about, like, if this show goes on, what what do we want to leave young people with this message of, like, hey, our parents may not have our best interest for us. Our leaders may not have our best interest for us. You have to go out and and try to make the change you want to see, literally, you know, this right. kind of idea. I, I, there is something about uh, Empire Strikes Back that always is, you know, that's why it's my favorite Star Wars movie. It's, you know, all your heroes are kind of scattered. You don't know what's going to happen. But they're going to pers- they're going to try they're going to try to persevere through all of this. But there is no ending. It's like, yeah. well, we got through this battle, and the the net, the, but the war ain't over. So I kind of wanted to leave that sense of like um, amping each other up for the next fight, right. and that's kind of what that song came from. And I was I was really glad that we got to share that message of like, you can do this. I see you. I got you. But you got we're going to have to do it our, on our own. Um, right.
0: That, that dramatic sentiment of not having an ending, is is that why you made the choice you did for how it musically ends? Basically, everything disappears but a solo guitar and Percy for the last two measures. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, well, I wanted the guitar lick of, that starts the show with I didn't want to be a half-blood to be the way that Percy ends, which is the first lyric in the show of Percy's, and it's the first line in the book. Mm -hmm. So it was important that the first line of the book be the last line of the book, but like, see how far he's come. He didn't want to be, but he owns it now. And so that's why that, that lick is there by himself.
0: Nice. Uh, Well, you know, thank you for uh, going down the rabbit hole of a deep dive into, you know, song by song. And uh, we're looking forward to presenting this, you know, again, as this comes out, it'll be, we'll, we'll be on opening night. I'm so excited for them. Oh, wow. Um, so what, what other, what other
1: projects do you have going on at the moment? Uh, well, I just closed a run of the show called Punk Rock Girl that I wrote with Joy Connors directed by a wonderful Jen Canizaro, uh, Jen Werner Canizaro, who is a, a fabulous choreographer, a director. And that's a, it's a jukebox musical, but it's all female fronted, uh, punk or pop songs, mm-hmm. um, from the past, like 25 years. Uh, we get some Pat Benatar, we get some Pink, we get some Avril Lavigne, we had uh, uh, Slater-Kinney and Bikini Kill and some like really fun... We had some Hole, you know, some Courtney Courtney So That yeah. was really fun to get to orchestrate that. Um, I, so that, that's getting licensed by Concord, I'm excited about. Um, I'm working on a piece called Experience Very Honest, which is about uh, a woman trying to leave an oceanic cult. Mm. It takes place on a ship, and we just did a workshop of that in the U.K., when I collaborated with that with um, my friend Sarah Beth Pfeiffer. Um, it's kind of about groupthink and patriarchy and all those kinds of things, but it's really funny and upsetting at the same time, kind of like a candor and Ebb musical is kind of how I see it. You know, something, taking a really serious subject matter like cults, but making something really funny right. and, and entertaining out of it. It's fun until it's not. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so I'm working on that. I'm working on a show called Monster Songs that uh, with another director, Jen, thompson that we're developing at TheatreWorks hartford and trying to do an immersive musical out of um to take the audience on a journey of these monster archetypes and i have an album for that i'm going to release a new single for that um uh, in a couple of weeks which i'm excited about so lots lots of nice. irons in the fire
0: uh well besides uh, buying tickets for your shows and uh and, and downloading or buying some albums of yours where uh where can people follow you or find out more about what you're doing
1: you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at rrokicks, so that's R and then R-O-K-I-C-K-S. Nice. and uh, Or on my website, robertrokicky.com.
0: Great. Uh, well, you know, uh, best wishes as your—will uh, this be your first child coming up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so best wishes as you begin fatherhood, your uh, next adventure. And uh, thank you so much for taking time to chat with me today.
1: Of course. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Have a great run. Thank you.
0: And that wraps up my conversation with Rob Rokicki and episode number 66. And uh, if you've made it this far and you're just waiting to correct me with a comment, I want to go ahead and correct myself. I talked multiple times about an A minor 7 over an A7 chord, and it is actually an F major 7 over an A7 chord because I misread an F as a G. And I'm glad that I noticed that so that I'm now playing it correctly for this upcoming run. Um, So this upcoming run, if you are local to Winston-Salem, it is at Salem College. It is at Elberson's Fine Arts Center, and it is going to be uh, showing um, Thursday, the 24th, the Friday, the 26th, and Saturday, the 26th, all at um, 7 p.m. shows. Uh, there's also a 2 p.m. matinee on the 26th, and uh, I believe you can buy tickets at the door, or you can go uh, to uh, Salem College. You can find uh, Salem College Pierrettes, I know, on uh, Facebook and Instagram, and I'm, I'm sure that they have a link to that and a number that you can call if you want to buy the tickets in advance. Our ask, we are asking the audiences to wear masks, uh, the cast and the, and the pit, and the crew will be in masks. Well, that is all for now. I am working on recording the next couple of episodes. The schedule might be a little weird uh, as to when I get them out, but some great guests coming up, so definitely check those out when they are available. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Life in the Pit Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or on Twitter or Facebook at David M. Lane Music. As always, a special thank you to Mark Perillo for the cover art and to Bill sisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. The theme music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can find out more about this podcast, leave feedback or a donation at lifeinthepitpod.com. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts, and please share with your friends. Thank you for listening.